Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning. So glad you're here today. Today we uh, continue our message series called Missing Pieces, where we're talking about those components that tend to be absent from our faith. You know, like um, components of a computer program that don't get installed correctly. If these things are not a part of our faith, then our relationship with God tends to not be as meaningful or as joyful or as deep or as rich as it could be. And so we tend to then look at the lives of other people and we think, well, why doesn't God do that in my life? Why, why do I not experience God like that person does? What is it that they have that I don't have? And the missing piece that we're going to talk about today is the missing piece of trust. That how do I trust that God's ways are better when I'm convinced that my way is the best way? Well, <clears throat> I first, I learned a really strong lesson about trust when I was about to graduate from seminary. Um, I was looking to pastor a church, and I was actually already pastoring a church, but it was a really small country church, and my time there was coming to an end. And so um, I was, my prayers to God went something like this, like, God, I'm single, I'm unattached, I'm willing to go anywhere that you want me to go. So God, where do you want me to pastor a church? God, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. Well, no doors to pastor church actually opened up for me. In fact, the only door that did open up was to be a youth pastor at a traditional church here in Katy. And I thought, God, like a youth pastor? Like, isn't that kind of a step backwards? Now, look, I'm not saying that anything bad about being a youth pastor. We've got one of the best youth pastors ever and a guy named Chris Sedgwick who spoke last week. He was just amazing. Um, but for me, God had called me to be a pastor, and I knew that. And so for me, um, I, this was kind of a step backwards or at least a step sideways. Um, <clears throat> and I had a bunch of my friends at seminary telling me, like, Mike, this is a huge mistake. This is going to get you off the path that God has called you to do in your life. You're missing what God is really calling you to do, and that's to be a pastor. But at the same time, I knew that in some weird way, like, this is what God wanted me to do. And so I took the position and I became a youth pastor at a church here in Katy. Well, Amy had a very similar experience. And when she was wrapping up grad school, um, <clears throat> she was looking to be a Christian counselor. And she said, God, I'm single and I'm unattached. I'll go anywhere in the world that you want me to go. God, I'll go anywhere. So where do you want me to go? Like Denver, Boston, Miami, London? And God said to her, Beaumont. <laughs> and she was like, Lord, maybe you didn't hear me right. <laughs> because like I'm in a place in my life, like I, I'm single. I can do anything. This is the time in my life to travel. So God, I'm telling you, I'll go anywhere. Where do you want me to go? And God said, Beaumont. And so she trusted God and she went to Beaumont and she ran a treatment center for adolescent girls. Okay, now here's the thing. 
<clears throat> as a youth pastor for me, I got to preach every single week and really sh- harp it, uh, sharpen and hone that skill. Now, I was preaching to teenagers. I wasn't preaching to adults. I also learned a lot about how to organize large groups of people because we had over 400 junior high and high school students in the youth ministry at that time. It was also a multi-staff situation, so I learned a lot about you know, staff and team dynamics. And a lot of those skills that I learned then, I still use today. Invaluable experience. And Amy, kind of the same thing. At this treatment center, she gained lots of valuable experience and honed lots of skills that she still uses in her practice, practice today. And more importantly, Beaumont is only four inches away on the map from Katie. Now, Amy and I, we knew each other from our days at Baylor, and so after she had been in Beaumont for about a year, she and I started to date. Now, if she had lived in Denver or Boston or Miami or London, like, that would not have happened. And so, literally, because each one of us trusted God when it made no sense to trust God, when our way seemed better, God used it to change our lives. And so for us, like how do, we, how do we learn to trust God? Well, there's a couple of big things that prevent us from trusting God. So go ahead and pull out your message notes. I want you to write these things down. <clears throat> a couple of things that prevent us, keep us from trusting God. The first is fear. Fear keeps us from trusting God. That basically, if I trust God and I do it His way, then I might not ever get that promotion that I've always wanted. If I trust God and I take this job instead of that job, well, I might not be able to afford the stuff that I really want. If I trust God with my finances and do things His way, then I might not have enough at the end of the month. If, if I trust God and I don't sleep with that person, then that person might leave me and I'll be alone. You know, behind all that, it's just fear, 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 fear. It's fear that keeps us from trusting God. And when we fear, we don't trust. Second thing that keeps us from trusting God is a desire to know. It's a desire to know. You know, before we, you know, jump off the edge, like we want to know how things are going to work out. Like we want to know the conclusion. We want to know that if I pass on this promotion, will there be another one in the future? Uh, If we move, are my kids going to be okay? If we elect to do this treatment instead of this treatment, are things going to work out in the end? If we relocate the business here instead of there, is that really going to be best in the long run? You know, we want to know how things are going to work out in the end. And so if God doesn't tell us how things are going to work out, which by the way, he almost never does. If God's not going to tell us how things are going to work out, then it becomes really hard to trust him because we have this desire to know, okay? But here's the thing. If we never face our fears, where's the trust? If we always have to know how it's going to work out, then where's the trust? Trust at that point in time, remains a missing piece in our lives. And all the while, God is saying over and over, he's like, hey, trust me. Just, just trust me. I love you. I have your best interest at heart. I Trust me. I have a plan. 
if you will just trust me. Okay, well, but how do we do that? Like, how can we begin to fold trust into our lives? Well, there's a great story in the Old Testament that helps us learn how to trust God. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 6. So if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, take notes of your Bible, go ahead and open to 2 Kings chapter 6, and you can take notes there. And if you want to just take notes on your uh, page provided you in your bulletin, you can certainly do that, okay? Now, we did not have space in the bulletin to write out this entire story, okay? But this, the key verses we're going to look at are printed there for you. But the whole story is going to be on the screens today. All right, so let me give you a little background so that the story makes sense. Okay, At this point in time in history, there's a prophet in the land of Israel. His name is Elisha. Elisha was an incredible man of God. In fact, God does more miracles through the person of Elisha than any other person in the Bible except Jesus. So this is a guy who really knows how to trust God, okay? So here's the scenario. The land of Israel has just been invaded by the king of Aram, a guy named Ben-Hadad II. And he's got the city of Samaria surrounded. And inside the city are the prophet Elisha and the king, both the king of Israel, both of whom King King Ben-Hadad wants to kill. So that's where we pick it up. In 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 24. Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. Now listen, Samaria is both a region and a city. This is a reference to the city, okay? There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. So basically, the siege has lasted so long that they've run out of food. I mean, they're eating anything they can find, including donkey head. Like, that, that's desperate times, y'all. Like, if you're eating donkey head. Okay, and they were selling it at a super inflated price. Okay, but to give you an idea, get, to give you an idea of how desperate and how hopeless things have become, check this out. Verse 26, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, help me, my lord, the king. And the king replied, look, if the Lord doesn't help you, where can I get help from you? I'm from the threshing floor, from the wine press. He's being really sarcastic here. Then he asked her, what's the matter? She answered, this woman said to me, give up your son so we may eat him today. And tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. Okay, look, by the way, if someone ever offers to cook your child first, like it's almost always a bad idea, okay? Don't trust that person, all right? I'm telling you, like you got to read the Bible. Like there's some crazy stuff in here, okay? All right, let's continue. Here it is. Verse 30, when the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. As he went along the wall, the people looked, and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. He said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. So basically, the king blames Elisha for the problems in the city. Because, look, remember, the Arameans wanted to kill Elisha as well as the king of Israel. So he blames Elisha, even though Elisha has nothing to do with this. And by the way, isn't that always what insecure leaders do? 
they blame other people for their problems. Uh, that's all. That's another sermon. Okay, here we go. Uh, verse thirty-two. Here we go. Now Elisha was get this. Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. The king sent a messenger ahead, but before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, "Don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him?" While he was still talking to them, the messenger came down to him, and the king said. This disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a sea of flour will sell for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, How could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha. So, bottom line, these people are facing what, I mean, literally, what is an impossible situation, okay? Look, they're surrounded. There's no way out. Luckily, the walls of the city have held up, and so the enemy has not been able to get inside the city. But they've run out of food. And so they're starving to death. So look, if they go out, they'll die. If they stay in, they're going to die. So pretty much, they're going to die. Like that's the scenario. But in that, God is saying, trust me. Trust me. And so what has to happen for us in order for trust to become part of our faith? What's got to happen? Well, a few things. Here's the first. First is, I need to be willing to wait. I need to be willing to wait. Look at verse 32 says. Check it out. Verse 32 says, um, and we read this already, but I want to refresh you. It says this, Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Look, everybody in the town, like, they're in full freakout mode, aren't they? I mean, they're eating donkey heads. They're cooking kids. I mean, these people are in full-blown panic. But Elisha, he's just sitting in his house. He's just sitting there. And the elders of the town are sitting with him. Because the Lord has told Elisha that everything is going to be okay. And so what does Elisha do? He waits. He just waits. Like, Like, does Elisha go out and try to make things happen? No. Does Elisha take matters into his own hands? No. Does Elisha go out and try to fix a bunch of stuff to try to accelerate God's plans? No. Elisha, he just sits and he waits. Now, wait, now look, waiting's hard, right? Like, especially for guys. Because guys don't like to wait on stuff. Guys want to fix stuff. Like, if there's a problem, guys want to fix it. If there's an issue, guys want to solve it. I mean, it's just what we do. Like, we want to go fix stuff. Waiting is hard. Now, it's not like waiting is easy for women either, okay? Because women, they want stuff completed, okay? So guys, all those projects that you've started, they're only halfway done because you're going to do it yourself so you can save the money? Finish it! Finish it! Ladies, you're welcome, all right? Look, my, 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 look, my point is, is that waiting's hard. Just waiting is hard. 
But if I'm going to trust God, then sometimes I've got to wait for God to do the things that only God can do and not take matters into my own hands. And that's what you've got to do too. Look, and when I wait on God, it gives God the chance to do something amazing. It gives God a chance to do something amazing that I would never see otherwise. And if I wait on God and I don't try to help God out and I'll try to add my work to it, then it gives God the chance to gain all the glory for what happens and nobody would give me any credit. I wouldn't take any of the glory for myself. So sometimes we just need to wait on God. So look, if you're, if you're trying to make something happen, you know, if you're trying to strong arm something and forcing it to happen, if you're trying to manipulate or coerce something, you're not waiting on God. So you need to trust him. And sometimes trusting means waiting. Okay. Second way we can add trust into our lives is this. Is number two. I need to learn more stories of trust. I need to learn more stories of trust. Look at the first two verses of chapter 7 again. It said this. It says, Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a sea of flour will sell for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Basically, they're going to sell for just pennies. Pennies. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heavens, of the heavens, could this happen? So look, the officer clearly believes this is not going to happen. Elisha believes that it is going to happen. So why the difference between the two? Well, Elisha has seen God do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. My guess is the officer of the king hasn't seen God do very much. And so Elisha's just seen more. He's seen God do so much more than the other guy has. So look, bottom line, how many stories do you know of God doing something miraculous to help somebody when they really trusted Him? You know, whether that story is about somebody else, or whether that story is something you read in the Bible, or whether that story is from your own life, maybe it's something that you know, maybe something that you don't know. How many stories do you know where someone has really trusted God and God has come through? Because the more stories you know, the more you understand how God works, and it's easier for you to trust God, okay? I'm telling you, for me, personally, some of the reasons why I've been able to trust God at desperate times in my life is because I've been able to remember the stories that I've heard over my lifetime of people who've really trusted God, and it made it easier for me to trust God. You know, that's, that's one of the advantages of going to church for continuously for a really long time. It's one of the advantages that your kids have if you'll make your kids go to church continually for a really long time. That bottom line, you, you and your kids, you accumulate all of these stories about people who have trusted God and how God has come through. And it's the, it's the cumulative effect of all these stories that helps you think, you know what, if God did the impossible for them, then God can do that for me. If God came through for that individual, God can come through for me. If God did that miracle, God can do a miracle for me. And because you have the exposure and this accumulation of all these stories, it makes it so much easier for you to trust God. 
And so you have to accumulate and you have to learn all these stories. But in, that doesn't happen unless you've learned them. And so how do you learn stories of trust? Well, let me give you a few practical ideas that you can take with you today. Here's a couple, a few ideas. First, just simply commit to be at church every week. If you'll commit to being at church again, you will hear these stories. Here's another. Read Christian books. I mean, I don't know what kind of books you read right now, but commit to read books about people who have followed God. I'm telling you, those stories will become so inspiring to you. Here's another thing. Read the Bible. I mean, read this. There's some amazing stories, amazing things in here that will help you trust God. Here's another thing. Go to small group. Because if you'll go to a small group, you'll get to hear stories of how other people have trusted God, and that'll help you trust God. Listen to, another thing, listen to podcasts of other preachers and Bible teachers, and listen to what they say about trusting God. And I don't know what you normally listen to. Look, turn off, turn off the sports radio. Turn off the talk radio. Turn off the political talk. It just makes you mad anyway. So just turn it off. Instead, listen to some podcasts in the car about people who are teaching about God and His Word. I'm telling you, it will do your life so much good. And that accumulation of stories will help you trust God more. Okay? All right. Number three. I need to believe that God can make a way when there is no way. That God can make a way when there is no way. Let's look and see how this story winds up. Check it out. 2 Kings chapter 7, we're now in verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say, we'll go into the city, the famine's there, and we'll die. If we stay here, we will die. So let's go to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. Lots of good options for these guys, right? All right. All right, here we go. Now, verse 5. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went to the Aramean camp and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys. And the tents left just as they were. The gatekeeper shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. The king got up in the night and said to the officers, I'll tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we're starving, so they've left the camp to hide in the countryside thinking they will surely come out. Then, they will, then we could take them alive and get into the city. One of his officers answered, well, have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their plight will be like that of all the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like all these Israelites who are doomed. Let us send them out to find out what happened. 
So they selected two chariots with their horses, and the king sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, go and find out what's happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan, and they found the whole road strewn with clothes and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a sea of flour sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. Bam! I mean, come on! Is that amazing? That's unbelievable! I'm telling you, God can do and does do some amazing things. God can make a way when there is no way. See, a key, look, a key reason why we don't trust God is because our view of God is too small. Our view of God is so small that basically if, if we can't see a way, well, I mean, then there must be no way. I mean, if, there, if, there's no, if we can't see how this could work out, well, then there must be no way for it to work out. That at that point in time, God is no bigger than us. At that point in time, in my thinking, God's no bigger than me. And where's the trust in that? Bottom line, I'm trusting in a God who's no bigger than me, and that is just way too small. So we need to have a bigger view of God. Well, how, how do we do that? Let's correct that. Look at these next two verses. Psalm 95, verse 4. What it says. In his hand, that's God, in his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. Isaiah 40, 12 says, Who has measured the water of the sea with the palm of his hand or measured the sky with the length of his hand? Okay, here's something that I've done in the past that has helped me tremendously to keep a perspective on how big and powerful God really is and it's helped me trust him. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your hand right now. I want you to put your hand out like this. Everybody, right now, put your hand out just like this, okay? According to these scriptures in the Bible, God holds the oceans in his hands. Basically, the Bible says that God holds our world in his hand, okay? Look, figuratively, not literally, okay? And so here's what I want you to do. Pretend that the hand you're looking at, that's God's hand. And he holds our world. So picture the world in your hand right now. Get that in your mind. Okay? Now, find the United States on that world. Now find Texas. Now find Houston. Now find your house. And now find you. Do you see how small you are compared to how big and powerful God is? And look, watch this. If God just went like this, that, that could wreck a lot of stuff. Okay, now look, that's not where earthquakes come from, okay? I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, it would not take very much from God to turn your world upside down, and change everything. And so, trust Him. God says, I have the power and the creativity and the foresight to do anything. So, God says, trust me. Look, with God, there is no impossible situation. 
with God, there is no, there's nothing that he can't do. And so literally for me, sometimes when I'm facing a situation like, God, I can't see a way out of this. I can't see how this is going to work out. Sometimes I will hold out my hand and I will picture the world and I'll say, God, you're big enough. I can trust you. And so look, when you're facing a situation that is so desperate, so impossible, you can't see a way, I want to challenge you, hold out your hand and just think about and remember how big and powerful God really is. And when you see God as he truly is, when you see how big he really is, you remember that? Then it's not that hard to trust him. When you see God as he truly is, it's not that hard to trust him because he is that big, that powerful. I'm telling you, our world needs Christ followers who will trust God like that. Our world needs to see Christians rise up and say, you know what, I trust God like that because I see who he is, how big he is, how powerful he is, how amazing he is, and so I trust him. That's what our world needs to see. Look, so in your life, where do you need to trust God? What is going on in your life where you need to trust Him? And would you? Look, if you're already a Christ follower, you already trust God with your eternity. So why not trust Him with your marriage, with your kids, with your career, with your whatever? Why not? Look, and if you're not a Christ follower, look, you need to understand God loves you, okay? God loves you. And he wants you to go to heaven when you die. But for that to happen, you have to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you and then follow him as best you can. Would you trust him to do that? If you've never trusted God to do that and you want to become a Christ follower today, there's a prayer. It's at the bottom of your message notes. I want you to take a few moments and I want you to pray it this morning, okay? But for everyone, I want everybody right now, bow your head, close your eyes, and let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, please forgive us. Forgive us for not trusting you in our past. Forgive us, Father, for thinking that you are too small. Forgive us for having such a tiny view of who you really are. And so, Father, I ask that you would help us to trust you because you truly are great and you're powerful and you're magnificent in every way. Help us to learn those stories of trust so that they can inspire us to trust you even more. And Father, when you tell us to wait, that we would not instead take matters in our own hands and try to strong arm it and fix it on our own. But God, we would choose to wait on you, to wait and watch you do amazing things. And so help us, God, to trust you. Let trust not be a missing piece in our lives any longer. And bring us back next week, Father, so that we can learn more. I'm going to ask you to do this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.